Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of MK Speaks. I am your host today, Dr. Marianne Kyle, and I would like to welcome uh, into our discussion today, Coach Brian McMillan. He is a health fitness coach, nutrition coach, and uh, very knowledgeable in a lot of the things we've been talking about. And so in the last podcast, we were talking a lot about how oftentimes we tend to conflate, we tend to give equal value to what is natural must also be easy. And we encounter this a lot in the teaching of singing and in performance itself, where we feel like we should be relaxed, it should be easy, it should not be challenging. And oftentimes that creates a problem when we're training people to do more athletic things, particularly in performance. But I also want to talk about this, how it relates to the mind and body connection, which I think is so crucial, particularly right now in the environment we're in, where we're under constant stressors with our jobs, uh, with the, the state of the creative economy. All of these things are so challenging to us on a daily basis. And I think it's important now more than ever that we address our own health as teachers and performers from the mind-body-spirit connection. And so I want to welcome Coach McMillan today. Coach Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show again. <laughs> Glad to have you. All right. So one of the things I talked about earlier in a podcast is, is that why is this thing that we consider, why is it that we consider what is natural must also be easy? And so when you have a new client come to you or a client that's been with you for a while and they're approaching something particularly challenging and they say, you know, this should be easier, with that in mind, how do you respond to them? And the way I coach is I like to teach in parables so they can understand them. What that comes from is it's just the old way of teaching. So I have to take their head and put them on, put my head and put it on their shoulders, so to speak, and so they can see it. And what I always tell people is the the longest, hardest, deepest, darkest road is always the most rewarding. So, you know, if you want something that's rewarding, it's not going to be easy. So you have to change your mindset to accepting things that things are going to be hard in life. And you you have to be more resilient and accepting that. And once you accept it, then you just got to get to work after that point. So, you know, and, and then repeating that message constantly to people so that they can be accustomed to that. You know, this whole taking the easy way out is not the way it's not the way to happiness. Work is the way to happiness. The more work that you do the easier your life is, so to speak, and then you're happy. So um, it's just, a, you know, it's just a re re repetitive messaging service that I provide for my people and tell them over and over and over and over again, the work is the way. So that's the way we, that's why we stick with it. Good. I want to hang on to that repetitive thought here in a minute, because that's so important in terms of how we, how we bring new habits into uh, our, our, active daily life and to the point where it becomes natural when we do this. So you, uh, of course, are an excellent nutrition coach and lifestyle coach, but you're also a really good, I, from my personal understanding and, and experience with you, a really fine strength coach. Um, so we've been working on what you call functional strength with me. Uh, can you first explain your concept of functional strength, particularly for women my age? So functional strength is important for everybody, not just women your age. And that's why it's important because it's functional. So it applies to all aspects of life, right? So that's what the definition of functionality is, is like, you know, what's going to help you pick up a bag of potatoes? What's going to help you pick up your grandkids? What's going to help you, you know, if your house is on fire and you have to, you know, get out of your house 
and survive that moment, what is going to help you, you know, tactively survive that? You know, what's going to give you the strength and, and the dexterity and the mobility to be able to, you know, to get through these things. And that's the basis of what that, what that program provides uh, is, is a functional strength where you can apply it in everyday life. Yeah, I like that so much because a lot of people that want to do the sorts of things that you advocate, the first thing they say is, well, I don't want to, you know, try to lift a bunch of weights in competition and I can't do what CrossFit national athletes do. I'm just not able to do that. And I think the idea of functional strength is approachable for everyone, regardless of their fitness level, that they can build this in. So I love that concept. Well, you know, you know, to push back on what you said that, you know, someone said they can't. My dad, my dad used to always say can't never could do a thing. Everybody has the capacity to do it. You know, if you if you eventually, and this is the way it works linearly, if you continue on with the process, you're going to be lifting with elite people as long as you never quit. And I'm not talking about you, a person. So if you're doing it effectively and you're if you're constantly trying to increase your your mobility and strength and nutrition and constantly learning and and you know going through that process linearly. And doing it correctly without injury, eventually you're going to be lifting with elite people. And that's what the goal is, you know, is to get you to a, a certain level of elite fitness. And, uh, you know, that's that's a big scary thing for most people, but it all starts with day one. And this process of, of, of perfecting the attempt. I like you know, that. Just, say just that. Wait, 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 say that again. It's all, all, it's all about perfecting the attempt. Perfecting you know, it's not, it's not about like, you know, trying to focus on like having the most incredible workout on a daily basis. It's about just walking through the doors of the gym, you know, and once you get there, you're going to find out you may not have a lot of energy energy when you got there, but when you touch that weight, you're going to, and you get on that treadmill or whatever you have in front of you for the day for training, you're going to feel the energy that you need to get through it. And uh, this comes from an old saying of Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger used to say that, you know, just get you just get to the gym and lift the lightest weight. Lie to yourself. I'm gonna lift the lightest weight so I can just do the bare minimum. And, and when you get there, other people are gonna be looking at you, and you're not gonna gra- grab that five pound dumbbell. You're gonna grab the heaviest dumbbell there, and you're gonna lift weights, and then you're gonna get better. So perfecting the attempt is is more important than anything else. I like that very much. I think perfecting the attempt is also really good in terms of how we as performers approach vocal technique and that we feel like the first time we attempt it, there should be perfection in that outcome. And it's always, of course, a cycle of building muscle memory over time. So I like that that cliche term, practice makes perfect. Right. That's right. Sometimes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Perfect for that person, you know, not everybody's going to be a virtuoso, but they're going to be the virtuoso for themselves. You know, not everybody's going to be the best singer and not everybody's going to be the best deadlifter, but for their genetic capacity, they're going to be the best for themselves. And that's all you need to uh, compare yourself to. It's not someone else, but you, you know, who you were yesterday. Yeah. To coin the phrase from Jordan Peterson. Yeah, we love some Jordan Peterson. He is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I love to listen to him. So that's great throw that in there. All right. So let me ask you something. So um, just coming from the strength perspective, strength coach perspective, because I know you've said before, that's one of your specialties. And I've experienced that. What do you think are the most important principles when you are training an athlete 
uh, to build strength, first of all, just not even maintaining your injuries or anything. But I do want to talk about when you are building strength, when you're teaching an athlete to maintain strength and in and around that, how are you, what are you, what are your principles in terms of keeping them as injury free as possible? Because I have noticed in the year and nine months that we've been working that for the first time in my life, I've not been significantly injured in anything I've done. I'm sore, but that's a first for me. So what are the principles that you operate under when you're a strength coach as when you're operating as a strength coach with these things? So one thing when it comes to strength, and it's really important to understand that most people go to care facilities, I would say 95% of people go to care facilities, not because of mental deficiency, but because of physical deficiency. So they don't have enough strength to do daily living activities. So, you know, it's, it's more about like quality of life when it comes to, you know, weights. And there's all kinds of studies when it comes to cardiovascular health, especially for women, when it comes to bone density health, um, you know, I can go on and on about that kind of stuff, you know, it helps to defeat depression, anxiety. Um, there's just, you know, helps defeat um, Alzheimer's and then also um, some of the metabolic, you know, problems that, you know, come about from like stroke and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, weights are the way, but one of the things that we try to focus on is understanding the pathways in the body. So when you start thinking about pathways, people, where they get in trouble at is they try to go too fast. And they don't understand that they have to allow their body to adapt. So they may get up on a weight that's too heavy for them, or they may use the improper technique. And those two things typically lead to injury, or they have some type of deficiency in their mobility, like, you know, they have a tight shoulder and they're touching weight they shouldn't be doing. So what one of our major beliefs is um, starting with the process of really understanding what the pathways are. And the, the first pathway that you have to consider is your neurological pathways. So you have to start to build the coordination up and the organic side of things to help your body start to adapt in that process. And once you start in, adapting and working through your coordination and the neurological side of things, your body's going to start making the, the adaptive changes to be able to do that at higher levels of frequency and intensity. What happens next is once the neurological stuff is kind of figured out, the cardiovascular steps in after that. So the cardiovascular pathway starts to build up the veins and the things that it needs to, you know, arteries and, you know, the capillaries to the muscle and all the things that it needs to do to feed the muscles. And then the last thing that comes behind that is, muscular pathways so what happens to most people is they come to the gym they start lifting heavy and their bodies weren't ready for it so you have to let yourself go through a two-week process of like letting your letting your all the pathways start to build up and the way we solve that problem is is we have people follow this philosophy of mechanics consistency and then intensity so you have the proper mechanics of the lift you understand that you go super light and you're consistent within that model you don't want to be so consistent that it, it affects your intensity where you're like, you know, I need to do this so perfect. I'm going to lift five pounds one time so that I never get injured. You'll never get anywhere that way. But if you're lifting adequate enough weight and the 
consistency is there, then you add intensity by adding more more weight or more reps. Mm-hmm. And you just follow that. That's simple. That's incredible too because I hire a coach to let the you know that's modeling made all those mistakes and, and well not to worry I, about it. I have often said I, what I appreciate about you is that you watch the form so carefully before we begin to increase the intensity in terms of the amount of weight, you're watching the form so carefully. And I think that's a large part of why we've not been, why many of us have not been injured under your care is because of that. And the incredible part about that is that particular practice that you do follows exactly the the idea of neuroplasticity and how we build neural pathways and how the body then responds physically to the neural pathways. I think oftentimes with singers, they fall into this sort of, I have to be intense and I have to make the voice big and I have to push the voice out of my body and it becomes less effective. And it's because they're putting that sort of body strength ahead of the neural pathways that form with effective technique, which is the same in weightlifting. I think that's incredible. And that addition of intensity through repetition of good technique mm-hmm. is allows it to wire more deeply into our brains so that we have to think about it less. I remember you constantly saying there will be a point where your central nervous system will understand the form and you no longer have to sequence the form. Mm -hmm. It just happens. And that's that point where the neural pathway is deep enough for us to put it on autopilot as some scientists of neuroplasticity talk about. So that's, that's great information. Okay, so I know I'm reading, I'm a big nerd of brain science, uh, have been for several years now, that studies show that by the time those of us reach the age of 35, 90% of what we do and we think, what we do physically, what we do in our daily interactions and what we think is recycled from the past. That includes the good, the bad, the trauma. You know, if you have a client come to you, that could be pretty depressing. Uh, for them if they are aware of that fact. So when they're asking for your help and knowing that that is the case, what do you say to them uh, if they're aware that these things are recycled from the past by the time they're age 35? Well, unfortunately, when it comes to most people like that, but let me precede the statement with this. I'm a health coach. My job is not to help you unwrap your past. My <laughs> job is really to un- un- unwrap your future. So that's that's a cop. I would recommend if if you're in re, in circular repetitive behavioral issues, whether it be alcohol or relationships or food, go talk to a counselor first of all. Um, but and I usually always refer my clients into that. But when it comes to working your way through trauma, most people aren't conscious of it. And they, they've relied on trauma as a way to get them through the process of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And so that creates a lot of different behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. So what, what I try to do is within our program is really focus on the basics and give them some wins. So what, what are the basics? You know, we have to get them out of their own way. So what does that mean is, that means like, are you sleeping enough? Are you eating enough? How's your internal dialogue? Are you talking well to yourself? Are you getting adequate levels of exercise? What's your concepts of future self like? And once we get them into believing themselves and that they can get small wins again, then things start building in that aspect of it. And they stop relying on trauma to fuel them in through their processes and start relying on 
on positive dopamine reactions in the brain to to get better. And it's a it's a slow process for some people, and that's okay. You know, it's just a you know what you built wasn't built in a day. So it's the same thing when it comes to um, healing people, you know, past trauma or even behavioral problems when it comes to food. It's all the same fix. You know, it's all the same fix. You have to get them to to believe in themselves again. And you start by by doing by, by doing that by giving them small wins. And you just repeat that. So it's the same thing, small wins, mechanics, right? Consistency, and then intensity. And once they get good at that, then you add a little bit more to them. To yeah. Them. yeah, yeah. That's what all, all of this is working with the way the brain builds new habits. It's great. And I love the I love the fact that you have such a patient attitude about the fact that it doesn't take everyone the same length of time to adapt and develop new new pathways with regard to their behaviors. Because I think particularly now as a teacher, I'm seeing more and more students who are stuck for a lot of reasons. Uh, COVID, you know, too much electronic stimulus, they sort of check out and disassociate from the world. And so as I have a saying in my studio, when we're working, I say everyone deserves a chance to grow up. And I realize that's a big blanket way of saying Everyone will do so in their own time. And I think mentorship and care and all of that that they receive from people around them is a huge part of that journey. I think, you know, and you mentioned that electronic thing. I heard, oh, speaking of music, oh, uh, Vanilla Ice. Oh, Vanilla. Why, why there's no new, new music nowadays. Yeah. And uh, what he said is this, this the cell phones has, has really restricted the growth of music over the last 15 years. And that's the reason why they're constantly recycling music and there's no new, new music being written is because of that. And one of the reasons why is because younger kids become reliant or they get their dopamine fixed through short-term means like the ding on Facebook and messages and stuff where back in the day, you know, you know, you look at the story of Dolly Parton and Jolene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she, she had a huge significant breakup in her life and she walked away from someone she loved for whatever reason it was. Porter Wagner. She, it was Porter Wagner. I know the story, but go on, tell I love this story. Go so, on. so she went home and, and wrote Jolene. Yep. And, you know, I'm sure she got some, some healing out of that. And, but through that process of work, she got some dopamine reward. Right. Yeah. And where most people nowadays would have went home and circled through TikTok and watched videos about narcissism, you know, and got some type of reward out of it, but didn't do any work to really, you know, cathartically get work through their processes, you know. Yeah, and what do we learn from that? You can make money off of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, you know she got uh, like $10 million from Whitney Houston from one song. And that song has been remade probably 10 times and it's probably 10 millions each. You know, like who knows what the, what the overall, what I tried to research that actually what, what she made off of that one particular song. And it's really hard to kind of find out, but I know that she made 10 million off of Whitney Houston and her remaking that song. So then, so she took this terrible, this terrible breakup into something else. She took it and within her scope of what she was good at, and wrote a song to let the energy out and got that positive dopamine reward, right? Where kids nowadays aren't getting that because they're going on the cell phones and wasting their dopamine on TikTok. 
You know, I think you and I can have another conversation another day because there's so much to dive into with just that alone. There's so much to be said about being in a quiet place and sitting with your feelings and sitting with basically channeling that emotional energy without a lot of distractions and how that contributes to creativity and healing over time. But we can we can talk about that's a whole different thing so we can get it. Uh, anyway, but no, you're right. You're right. It's, there's a lot to be said for not having those electronic distractions and how the brain maps differently through our experiences. I mean, one of the things we're told constantly is that the attention span of today's students, a lot of whom I, I deal with in my teaching, and I know you encounter in your life as well, is measured, their attention span is measured by how long they will stay on a TikTok clip or a YouTube clip or whatever, and that gets shorter and shorter and yep. shorter. It's because of that dopamine reward. You know, it's yeah. it's been cut off. You know, it's been shortened. Yeah. Where, you know, our ancestors used to get dopamine reward over three-month periods of growing corn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different now. A little different <laughs> okay well listen let me, let me go on to this next question because you and i could chase a lot of ra- really terrific rabbit trails but i, I want to i know um that from my experience with you a lot of what you ask us to do challenges us physically and mentally and emotionally for a period of time um knowing that so many of us uh come to you wired to avoid discomfort so to speak so to speak, how do you how do you coach us through those uncomfortable moments where the intensity I was bench pressing this morning and you were very encouraging without realizing you were to maybe push further than I wanted to? How do you coach us through that? Peer pressure. That's pretty much it. You know, a lot of people, especially when it coaches, they want to please their coach and do what what they can. So that's one of the positive aspects of having a coach and having that accountability of of help having somebody's going to help you through the do hard hard things and there's nothing wrong with that people that sit back and say that i can do all the hard things in the world by themselves is completely wrong you know there's no one who can do that you know as, as you know cage fighting and going to war and i've always had some type of mentor there behind me to help push me through things so um you know you're not going to make it by yourself you know yeah. to coin someone else it takes a village it does take a village you you know, and so, you know, there's some truth in that. So, you know, mentorship is a big, big part of that. So um, when it comes to working through, you know, hard things, uh, some people have that capacity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, you know, just to reflect back on you, you're a PhD, so you understand people that have that type of ability to see things in the long term, the linear benefit of things in the long term, I don't have to motivate too much. Mm-hmm. People in my program, though, PhDs already have that. So it's not, it's an easy, it's, it's this easy transition. They always do well. Mm-hmm. So what I tell people that they're having problems with that is to kind of look at like a doctor. I use this analogy of like, it would be really hard to talk a doctor into doing something that may look that may hurt their license like doing something stupid and why is that it's because they have a lot of human equity wrapped up in their license a lot of sweat equity a lot of money equity a lot of a lot of stuff a lot of equity in it so they're not going they're not going to jeopardize that so how do you start that process with yourself 
you start to work on yourself. And as you're working on yourself, like you're going to pursue harder and harder things and you're going to be more accustomed to it. And you're going to go through those pathways. You're going to go through the mechanics of those pathways. And then once you establish a new norm, things aren't as difficult as they as they as they were there's a book i read not too long ago that was written by um joe uh, what's his name from uh spartan you know joe, joe decina or joe cena joe decina yeah so he was telling this story about how he decided he was going to leave his job and start doing crazy physical stuff so he was going to do that iterate out on foot and Whenever you started this process of doing that, they went out there to do that Iditarod on foot. And if you don't know what Iditarod is, it's literally going across Alaska with a dog sled. But they're going, they decide they're going to do it on foot in the middle of winter, which is the hardest thing to do. As they were progressing through the, the snow, they fell into a valley of snow. So they fell to the bottom of it because it was really loose. And then they were stuck kind of like you would be in an avalanche. And the guy spoke out to them and said, hey, we're probably not going to make it through this to say your prayers. And of course, they made it through it and he made Spartan and all kinds of crazy stuff behind it. But what he found is, is because he did that one hard thing, he wasn't like, for instance, he uses like the example of like rogue rage. He used to have rogue rage a lot. He doesn't he doesn't get angry anymore about that kind of stuff. So it quietens down, it quietens down the, the world and the way you perceive things so like things that were big a big deal before are not a big deal now so your pain tolerance moves your tolerance to be able to deal with these moves over to a to a higher level and that's part of that linear process of you know learn to deal with one thing you get good at it learn thing get good at it another thing you get good at it until until you hit a hit a peak in that so i hope i answered your question did i answer it you absolutely did and one of the interesting things that you said through that story is how our central nervous system adapts to new behaviors um, because our central nervous system's response, particularly after having patterns of behavior, it kind of operates under the radar. And so a lot of times our bodies will react to stress and we're not really aware why. And so what happens is every time he did something like this new, his central nervous system adapted to stress in a very different way. And he wasn't as reactive and friable to things that he once was. And I think that's sort of the genius of the way our body map and our brain maps in these things. I just, I just I really tapped in that with Spartan, you know, like that, you know, he took that whole pain tolerance thing and flipped it into a fun course. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, how that transfers into normal people's lives. You know, one of the, the main beliefs within my program is that we have to emulate what our ancestors did in order to find true health. And so, you know, we can't go out in the, in the fields and, you know, hunter gather anymore. So, to do things like like that in Spartan and go for a walk outside and do doing hard exercises, you know, three or four times a week is is the way to kind of tap into our genetic ancestry and yeah. and to bring that into our lives. And um, the, the, the and we're not doing that. It's the reason why so many are sick. So many so many people are sick nowadays. So many people are depressed. So many people are committing suicide because they just don't have any purpose. Yeah. So, I like that a lot. That and that says a lot also to about what you said earlier about mentorship and community. One of the things I love about being in your community and being in the Spartan community 
is that together we get excited about new goals for one another, not just our own singular goals, but we, I get really excited when my gym partner, Glennis does something amazing. And when we go and do Spartan races, we really encourage one another. And I think that's, that's a culture you have fostered. That's a culture I think that I love in Spartan as well. I think that's something we need everywhere, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you have people suffering together, it creates some, it creates a weird coming tribe. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Actually, it does. Uh, we, we notice that in the military. You know, you become close to people you suffer with and create lifelong friendships with, typically. So, you know, suffering is a weird thing. And you need a community, I think, when that's happening together. You need a community to make sure one of them doesn't swirl the drain. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. For having it, that's a big thing is I think having a community. We've gotten so isolated, particularly post-COVID. We've gotten accustomed behaviorally to being alone. And when, and of course, alone time's great. I mean, you and I've talked before about our tendency to be uh, sort of introverted. And I, I think that's fine because we need that recovery. That's where our personalities are. But I think community is really important as well in the right ways. Um, they call it, what do they call that? Oh, um, my therapist calls that co-regulating. When you meet a, a community of people that make you feel safe, regardless of the circumstances you're in, you can be in danger. But right. when people that make you feel safe, you co-regulate. And that is sort of a metabolic thing that brings the whole tribe of as it were. Right. So um so there I want to talk just briefly about neuroplasticity because like this is something that you do without I mean it's just a part of what you do. But there is neuroplasticity is this amazing it's not even a concept anymore. It's a practice in the medical community that the brain has this ability to rewire itself and reform itself, that even portions of the brain that have gone dark due to uh, traumatic brain injury, due to PTSD, drug and alcohol use, whatever, that those dark portions of the brain can be rehabilitated. And it's this concept that the brain has this neural plasticity where it can rebuild itself. Not a lot of things. Are, I mean, if, we, if the arm is chopped off, the arm is gone, but the brain has this incredible ability to generate and regenerate itself. And so there was a Canadian psychologist who began to study this, a psychologist. Uh, and what he was trying to do was study how neural pathways affected, creating different neural pathways affected behaviors. And so one of the things in the study of this that I've learned is that uh, we have pathways that form for negative behaviors and positive behaviors. And they're kind of like grooves in the brain. The longer we do them, the deeper the grooves. And so I know that you encounter clients who say, well, I can't do this because, or I can't say these things to myself because this is just the way my mind works, or this is just the way that I am. And they use that as an excuse when they become uncomfortable. So uh, when you're dealing with, in, in your coaching capacity, how do you address that? Or do you do it just in practice more than in words? You know, just to kind of help people understand it, you know, even on a genetic level, we can change over time. It, it, um, part of the whole process of that genetic change, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's uh, my brain just locked up on me. Right. Uh, what is that called? That's called. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. But basically what you do, you take two people that are twins and when they first are born, they have the same DNA. And if you came back and they've done it, uh, and you test them when they're when they're older, they have completely different genetic traits. So, um, 
even on a genetic level, people can change. So, you know, for people to sit back and think that, that they can't change because of whatever may happen or what did happen to them is just them being trauma bound and being comfortable. You know, they're, they're afraid to move forward in their life because of whatever traumas they've been through. And, um, you know, what I try to do is, again, build up people's confidence, give them some wins, have them in, in a kind of repetitive manner, uh, tell them the same signaling. Part of what we try to do in our program is provide uh, programming and signaling and frequency toward a certain type of message. So a way to do that for a normal person is to wake up first thing in the morning and listen to something that is going to benefit them along the lines of that type of signaling. So like, you know, like these five or 10 minute videos of like, you can find your favorite preacher or somebody that's, that's good at, you know, talking that about that particular type of subject as it's coming in first thing in the morning, you are more in a theta wave state. So then that programming is more apt to stick in your brain. And, and then people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. So we're, you're taking that idea and transplanting to your brain and helping you, you know, make a change in your life. And then eventually that repetitive nature will help you create a new um, program. So uh, I can't believe I can't remember that. <laughs> well, if you remember, it will slide it into the description of the podcast when it's mm-hmm. over. text it to me. We'll slide it in for people's reference. But I love the fact that you mentioned Theta brain waves, and because I talked about it in the previous podcast, which is, is there, there are these, of course, when we're up and solving problems all day, the brain is in beta. And when we're asleep, deep sleep, it's in delta. But there's this beautiful state of being that's actually a theta wave, a brain wave, where the brain is quiet, but conscious and bodily aware. That's the interesting thing. You're mm-hmm. aware and in your body when you're in theta. It's just the body is quiet and the brain is quiet. And they also call that the, the creativity brainwave pattern. Um, because when you are in a state of theta, your your most creative process, right brain processes are fired and are really at a higher level. I, I always talk about how you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and you're brilliant. And you think of all these things and then you go back to sleep and you can't remember anything. And uh, that's theta when you're in that moment. So we utilize theta a lot as singers to remain in our bodies so we don't disassociate when there's a problem on stage, we sing a wrong note or something happens unexpectedly. So we try to train ourselves to remain in that theta state so we can access creativity and stay in our bodies and be aware. So I think that's a a really great answer. Thank you for that. Um, So I got a couple more things I wanna ask you and then we'll wrap up. But um, have you noticed since we have come through COVID have you noticed that there is a rise in some of the self-destructive traits uh, patterns in your clients, or is it about the same? It's just different reasons. What do you know? On a, socially, as far as statistics go, there's been a, a tremendous rise in suicide um, and also drug overdose. And uh, in particular, in my life, I've had a family member commit suicide. And um, I know that there has been like almost like a 200% rise in overdoses too. I know suicides are astronomical. Uh, drug, drug overdoses are uh, the leading cause of death of in, individuals from 18 to 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why is that? 
you know, to me, it's it's a lack of hope. Yeah. And so, like, whenever nihilism kicks in, which is is the result of lack of hope, then um, these type of behaviors are going to start to manifest themselves. Can you explain, can you explain nihilism to those that are listening? <laughs> Self-destructive. Basically, just trying to destroy yourself. <laughs> All right, so... Let me let me let me let me just Google that. I'm gonna give a, a textbook definition, and then uh, and then we'll, we'll we'll go into extreme skepticism. Maintain that nothing in the world has real existence. So that's the textbook definition. Yeah. And what they have found is is a lot of these kids that suit up schools mm-hmm. are deep into nihilistic behavior and beliefs. You know that everything they do in their life has no meaning. Mm-hmm. So that means there's no there's lack of hope there. Mm-hmm. So you know these kids are picking up signaling from somewhere that there's no hope in their lives, which is not true. But where that trans where that transfer in, transfers into is is they begin to hate themselves, and then hate their community, and then hate their God for creating the whole situation. And then they have to destroy those three things. One of those three, all three of those things as a way of comeuppance against God. So that's the reason why these kids go shoot up schools and kill other kids because there's no other thing that's closer associated to God than children. So um, when people are hopeless, you know, it's, there's a lot, a lot of things that are tied into that. Um, nihilism is a virus. It's like suicide. Once it starts in the community, like it spreads like incredible, mm-hmm. incredibly fast. I come from an area where I'm from in Northern Alabama. Nihilism is is part of the course for almost everyone, and it's decimated the community as far as suicides and also drug use and and also jail time because of it um so yes to answer your question yes there there has been a you know a rise in lack of hope since covid and there are you know it's really hard to go into the biological side of things because i'm not a doctor i have my opinions but i don't want to get into it here but um you know what can you do if you have lack of hope in your life and one of the things that I believe in is going back to core, ten, you know, the core tenements of what we talk about in our program of, of you know, how are you talking to yourself? How's your sleep? How's your nutrition? What's your concepts of future self? You know, how much exercises or exercise are you getting in a day? And if you're worried about that, you're not worried about what lack of hope you have. You know, you've got something new to focus on. And then if you continue along with that linear pro- pro- progress, you're, you're going to be, become tougher and you're going to be able to manage and manifest more things in your life. And you're going to learn a lot about yourself and along that process. So, you know, it all goes back to um, not having purpose in your life. You know, so COVID took away a lot of people's purpose. And um, but, to me, that's it, you know. But, but that's powerful. That's powerful in and of itself. It really is truly, because 
you know, you don't have to have the answer about how the, how we're going to solve all the world's problems, but it says a lot, I think, about the state of where we are right now as people and why we're seeing some of the problems we're seeing in terms of our um, relationships with our tribe, with our family and our community. You know, we could go all the way out into politics and everything else in the world, but I think so much of that stems from that uh, sense of hopelessness that a lot of have and they don't know how to dig themselves out of that so that's a great you know, it's, it's, it's because the tribe has filled them yeah you know, you know the you know they're no longer part of a tribe and you know it might be because of personal decisions or whatever but they're not part of something that can have that can help, help give them purpose you know so finding purpose is, is a big 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 process in that so um you know, I think that's where if, if you're suffering for something like that, is go find some purpose in your life. You know, go for a walk, listen to some books, and you know, that's just it. And then you got some, you, you, you've at least got something to aim at, you know. Yeah, like and that. then, you know, you're going to get some new ideas along that process. Yeah. Find one thing you do, one thing you can do, and just take that first step. That's, I know when you started with us, you were like, get your 10,000 steps a day. If you can do that, mm -hmm. that's the start. And that gave us, something different to focus on other than the pile of crap we were wallowing in. <laughs> right, right. And once you get that out of the way, you know, then all kinds of crazy stuff happens. You know, um, this whole genetic situation I was talking about earlier that I still can't remember the name to, but I really truly believe that we have, um, our, our body has the ability to evaluate us as, as to whether or not we're good members of the tribe or not. Yeah. So if you're the member of the tribe that's going out hunting and gathering and you're doing things and you're, you know, you're going to operate in the world and, and behaving as if you're providing for the tribe, your body's going to keep you alive and happy and healthy. If you're the person that's sitting inside in the dark, eating up the tribe's food in the cave, not doing nothing, then you're going to have a lot of problems. So um, within the aspect of it, so what choice do you want to be? Who do you want to be? You know? So, you know, you wake up every morning and you got to make a choice. Do you want to be on the side of self-destruction or do you want to be on the side of self-fulfillment? Yeah, excellent. You know, so if you wake up with that choice every morning, so what am I doing? Am I picking up my phone and looking at it? Does that add to my self-fulfillment concept or does it add to my self-destruction? When you go to Starbucks and get a banana nut bread and a, uh, you know, coconut latte or whatever they have there, you know, what – is that self-destruction or is that self-fulfillment? Mm -hmm. You know, then if you start to evaluate those things, the sum of those things that you do for self-destruction are going to minimize at that point. Yeah, that's good. And that's then good. if you're minimizing those things, then you've got some hope. You've got some hope in your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that. Okay. So epigenetics, epigenetics. It finally came out. Epigenetics. <laughs> that's it. Epigenetics. I'm friends with my brain too. I was like, I can't think of it right now. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I want to talk to you about a couple more things and then we'll wrap this up because this has been fascinating and really terrific, I think, for our listeners. But um, you every time I say to you, Coach, I want to go like do a 24 hour hike through Iceland. And you're like, what is the risk versus reward here? <laughs> I feel like Yoda's talking to me. But uh, so you always talk to me about this risk versus reward. And and I, I love that. But can you clarify for those that are listening to this? Uh, when does the risk become so great as to outweigh the possible reward? I get that death is not a good risk, but you, you say this to us a lot. 
Um, so tell me what you, how you operate in terms of that, that philosophy. So, you know, sometimes death is a risk that's worth the reward. Okay. You know, you look at, you look at the Wright brothers, you know, they got on an airplane and it probably wasn't a good idea to get on an airplane, you know, that was made out of cardboard or whatever they made it out of, you know, it was <laughs> probably. not the smartest thing. But when it comes to risk and reward under a linear time domain, so like when you're exercising, if you run a risk, and I learned this hard lesson myself when I was doing MMA, if you're doing things that you're constantly injured or getting injured, you're never going to get better, ever. So then what are you accomplishing? You're accomplishing learning on how to get better from an injury, which is not good for no one, right? So, you know, in, in that in that lesson of, of, of that part, you know, I try to evaluate, okay, what are you trying to accomplish here? Are you trying to learn that you could do something really hard? Okay, well, then let's prepare for it first. Good advice. You know, are you ready for it? And then sometimes, you know, it's worth the risk, you know, part of what I created my program from was doing a 24 hour obstacle race in Iceland in the middle of winter and sub freezing temperatures, carrying myself, but also disabled veterans through it. It was extremely hard for me because guys my size aren't supposed to move that much. So I learned a valuable lesson. I had to make some changes, even though I was a really strong person, strength doesn't really relate when it comes to oxidative exercise. So it's two different. Um, so, you know, I was, I was really good at phosphocreatine exercise, but I wasn't good at oxidative. Explain the difference between those two for the people. So phosphocreatine is like, you know, if you're lifting something as heavy as you can for one or two reps and then you're done. Mm -hmm. So like you've expended all the energy in your body from a one or two rep max. That's the energy channel that powers through that. Then there's glycolytic. So glycolytic is like if you're going to do four minutes of burpees and then that, and then that four minutes, you're done. <laughs> right. So it's different than the one rep max stuff. But glycolytic is you're burning a certain type of chemical within the muscle. Okay. And then oxidative is what it sounds like, which is oxygen. Mm -hmm. So you're burning oxygen and there's a certain level of, of, of endurance that your body has to be able to be able to maintain so that type two to type one muscle fiber type, mm -hmm. if you're more type two muscle fiber oxidative exercise is going to be difficult for you and conversely if you're more type one dominant then fossil creatine and glycolytics is going to be difficult for you if you see like you see people that are long-term endurance runners they can't pick up 100 pounds off the ground yeah 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 so, you know, in that process of all that, you know, I learned that, I, you know, I need to go out there. I, you know, I made, I'm, I did something that I'd never done before. I never even done an obstacle course race. And I went out there and did the Super Bowl of obstacle course races without ever done one before. And I learned a valuable lesson. And sometimes you got to break in, you know, some eggs and make an omelet. Mm -hmm. But I try not to let my clients make those same mistakes. <laughs> so, uh, I don't want to see, you know, especially if I'm a, if you're paying me to keep you safe, <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm a, air, I'm a air to caution and I always have, and it's, you know, some, and I've, I've gotten some criticism, criticism in, in my coaching aspect, but 
I can safely say in 10 years of coaching, actually 15 years of coaching, um, coaching at least 100 people a day for six days a week for seven hours a day. I can't even, you know, that's probably about, let's just say that's 900 work hours a day times 10 years, which is going to be over a million work hours. I had one surgery the entire time that I was coaching. That's incredible. So, and I saw it happen when it happened. I knew it was going to happen, and I didn't say something quick enough because mm-hmm. there was a lot going on in the room. And I saw this particular person jumping incorrectly in a way that I knew that was not safe, and I didn't say something quick enough. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. That's great. Uh, and I, I, of course, we know those of us that have been with you for a bit, we know that in that opening part of the program, you talk about pretty openly about your trip to Iceland and you talk about it was not only the physical thing you attempted, but also where you were mentally and emotionally. And that a lot of that also had to come alongside in terms of mindset for your body to adapt, to be able to do some of the things you did, but also recognizing what you what I'll just use myself as an example, recognizing what I can do and what I can't do. I'll never be a gymnast, but I can do some things. I think recognizing where our gifts are and letting that sort of mental and emotional recovery and strength and health accompany what we do physically is such a huge part of being, I think, a whole person. We don't all well, have... Well, it's not that you don't want to ever be a gymnast. It's not yet. <laughs> well, you haven't seen me do some things I cannot do well yes you have so anyway <laughs> but all right so let me let me close this off with uh, with this 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 uh, question of you um uh we know in particularly in terms of the study of neuroplasticity and the treatment for some of the things that neuroplasticity is used and applied in terms of traumatic brain injury and bad behavior or well uh, disruptive behaviors less than ideal behaviors that when we form a, a behavior, it tends to form a pathway in the brain. And I think one of the one of the uh, scientists that was talking about neuroplasticity likened it to a hiking trail. And they said, the longer you operate in that behavior, the trail becomes deeper and more ingrained. And so when we are starting something, when we decide, make the decision or whatever to start something new, the path will always, the brain is lazy, essentially. I've heard scientists say, the brain is lazy. It's going to take the path of least resistance um, and it's going to try to go back to what it always does. And so with a person, I'll just use myself as an example. I'm the kind of person that always had the philosophy that I need to do something physically to work myself out of something rather than working on the other aspects. And so when you have a client that comes to you and they feel like they can work hard physically to make changes, but they don't incorporate the other things into their into their process. I mean, how do you talk about, I know how you talk about this because you do it in the program, but, but talk about how you align the mind and body connection and particularly the mind, body, spirit. Well, it's, 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 it's a, it's an emotional buy-in. So you have to get people to, on my side of things. So in a coaching aspect, you have to get them to buy into the trust factor. So they have to trust you and the things that you say. And then, the, and then hopefully they start to learn that what you say is true and then if they trust you and you, you, they believe that the things that you say are true, then they're, they're going to start executing the things they need to do to make themselves better. So then you have to be consistent within, a, within that aspect of it. So it falls back into those, 
these small wins. So it's just like giving a dog a, a treat. You know, if you dog walks up to you and you kick him in the head every time he walks up to you, he's going to stop walking up to you. But if you give him a treat and a pat on, on the head every time he does something good, they're going to continue to come back. It's the same thing when it comes to neuroplasticity. So if you're doing things that are um, going to help you get a little bit better, you get that dopamine reward out of it, you're going to come back for, for more. So, but it, you know, conversely, if you're doing something that you constantly fail at, eventually you're gonna you're gonna give up, you know. Yeah, and I have people that are so locked in the groove of de depression or anxiety, or that their personality is identified with victimhood, and they can't see themselves as being anything else that they push against that. And I have had, had those clients and they immediately quit. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, some people are, are not coachable on that aspect because that their identity is mired in with victimhood. I mean, yeah. they don't want to get better. And, um, you know, they find power within the victimhood. And so, uh, you know, victimhood is, is just a mindset of, of the, of, of decrepit people. <laughs> They're going to be successful. And it's, and I, it's, it's really sad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I hate to see people like that and I try my best to get, get them out of it, but, Ultimately, it's a decision they have to make to, to walk away from it. You know, a lot of people are empowered through their victimhood, and, and it might be something that helps them get through it. And, but let me just tell you, you know, because I've been there myself, you know, victimhood is is, 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 is the direct line into nihilism. And you're, there's no way out once you get there, you know, so. I think that's a powerful statement. And inherent in that, you talked about, you know, I think trust is really huge when when they they encounter someone that they begin to trust, they will tend to to step out into the thing that's uncomfortable, going back to what we were talking about, which is things that's, that are natural are not always easy. And so oftentimes when they're in the presence of a mentor or a coach that they trust, they will push against the uncomfortable. And in the process, they realize that it's not easy, but it does feel natural to their spirit. I think that's uh, a huge part of that mind body connection that we talk about so much when we're working in your program and we're working in my studio as well. Um, okay. Well, let me ask you. It's really, so let me throw something in there. So it's really essential to find balance in the mind, body and spirit, because if one of them's out, um, it's going to cause the other two to, to, to fall, to fall apart. So it's really, you know, you have to be conscious of, of your, of your behavior. And the moment that you're conscious of it, that means that you have an ability to fix it. Yeah. So you have a target to go after at that point. But if you're not conscious of it, then it's really hard, of course, to try to fix it because you're not conscious of, of, your, of your behavior. So, you know, if you see yourself constantly making the same mistakes over and over again, you don't know why. It's a good a good opportunity to kind of look at look at why. Ask some friends, you know, ask, a, you know, go see a counselor, you know, sit, sit down with yourself and, you know, and really try to look at, you know, you may not be able to find the answer, but if you find what's wrong, then you can find the right kind of person and tell you the right kind of story to help you get out of it.
just like if you have a bad squat and you want to get a better squat, you would hire me. <laughs> you know, or, you know, if you want to learn how to, how to sing, you would hire Dr. Marianne. <laughs> you, know, you know, all these type of things. There's, we are so gifted today to have all the things that we have in front of us as a society to help us get better that there's really no excuse to transcend as a human being today. That you're only selling yourself short. Yeah. It falls back to the, the the biblical text of like Matthew 25, 29. Those will have will always have. Those will have nothing will always have nothing. That, that, that Those will have nothing is the victim mindset. Yeah. Exactly. And, so, and, you, and you said it earlier, it definitely does take a village and oftentimes and I would say this as a Christian God puts folks around us that there they are and they're ready to step in and support us we just have to have the eyes to see it so I think that's that's super I think this has been a, a super discussion and I appreciate you being so open and willing to talk about these things with us um I, I do want to tell you guys just as a postscript uh, that Brian has created a program called Shut Up, Be Clean. Uh, if you are familiar with the things that I post on social media, you're probably pretty familiar, but it's an excellent program. I've been a part of it now for almost a year and nine months. And I can tell you that that daily accountability that he offers me and the fact that he addresses the mind, body and spirit aspect of, of all of these things has made it truly successful in what I needed in the moment. Uh, his website is shutupeatclean.com and we'll post the information in uh, uh, on the MK Speak site of how you can get in touch with him if you'd like to talk with him further about anything that you've heard today. But I, excuse me, but I want to close with thanking you all for tuning in. Uh, we've been talking about how what is natural is not always easy. And oftentimes we shy away from the things that are difficult when it challenges our nervous system. But oftentimes when we press ahead, those are the moments of great victory, healing, and triumph. And so run straight toward the difficult things. Amen. Run straight towards this. What they say, take the path, less travel. Run towards the heart. Right. Run straight toward it, man. Even if you fall and trip and fall, it's better than going out and never trying, you know, do it. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you for joining me today and, and being willing to talk about all of this. Uh, thank you for, for asking me again. I, I love these types of conversations. It's really hard to find people that want to talk about this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, typically I get in discussions like this on social media channels and um, it always ends up with me getting kicked off. So I never usually get to finish my train of thought. So people don't want to hear what I have to say typically because they know it's true. And um, You're right. It goes, it goes against their narrative. That's right. Of so, um, but thanks for having me and giving me the opportunity. And uh, also I'm health coach Brian on uh, IG and TikTok. If you want to uh, follow me, jump in there. Um, I have silly stuff on there, but I do have some stuff that has some uh, some meaning sometimes too. You gotta, you know, you gotta stick with the algorithm sometimes. So, all the algorithm. all right, yeah, all the algorithm. Right. Well, guys, thank you for joining us today. I've, I've been it's been a pleasure to host Coach Brian McMillan in a discussion uh, about how mind, body, spirit connects to what we do and doing the hard things that often result in a great breakthroughs in emotional, physical healing. So uh, join us next time. We're going to talk about some of the mental health aspects associated with uh, confronting difficulties, particularly in trauma and uh, working through those things effectively. So join us next time in, on MK Speaks. Thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next time.